0: theologians of our time we'll let them answer the question the single most important question any human being can ask is the question what is truth one of the most basic questions of all is the question what is truth and there have been battles over the answer to that throughout the ages of all the issues today you could boil them down to half a dozen but unquestionably truth would be major So to answer the question, what is truth? I would say it is this. Truth is that which affirms propositionally the nature of reality as it is. Truth is defined as that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God, because God's perception of reality is never distorted. It's a perfect perception of reality. So when Pilate looked at Jesus, Says, Ah, what is truth, and walks away. Pilate walked away from the greatest authority on the greatest question and committed the greatest crime at that time. Today, we are beginning a four week uh, teaching series on this really important topic of truth. How can we discover and how can we hold on to truth? in this current of confusion in our culture today. In our culture, the truth seems uh, not to matter so much anymore. The only truth that seems to matter is, quote, your truth. And that, that's the most popular way to express the idea that the only truth today that really is important is the truth that's my truth or the truth that's your truth. The problem with that is that when that is our definition of truth, there is no truth at all. You see, you can have your opinion, you can have your experiences, you can have your beliefs, but your truth opposes the idea that there is some objective standard of truth outside of us. Listen to what this Paul Copin writes Truth is true even if no one knows it. Truth is true even if no one admits it. Truth is true even if no one agrees what it is. Truth is true even if no one follows it. Truth is true. Even if no one but God grasp it fully, we're going to be talking about truth over the next uh, four weeks, and we're going to realize that truth really does matter. You know, it matters in every area of life. Truth in mathematics can save you from a bounced check or maybe from bankruptcy. Truth is very important in medicine. Everybody agree? You want a surgeon that knows what they're doing, and one. Uh, and if they say, well. This is your heart, but it's actually my liver. I don't want that to be my doctor, right? Did you hear about the pharmacist who recently gave the wrong prescription to a heart patient? He misread the doctor's handwriting, and the patient had serious complications as a result, and he died. And the pharmacist faced criminal charges on the witness stand. The pharmacist couldn't say, oh, it's all relative. One pill is just as good as another. He couldn't say it because truth matters. It saves us from disease or even death. Truth matters in aviation. How many of you know that uh, when you fly, you want to know where the ground is, right? You want to know what the altimeter says. And when uh, there is someone and I walk into a commercial airline uh, and my pilot and co-pilot look like Bill and Ted from their excellent adventure party on, I'm going on the way out. Do you know what I'm saying? And, And that's the case. I want somebody who looks like they believe in truth uh, when they're flying the plane because truth matters in mathematics and science. It matters in aviation. Here's my point, friends. If truth matters in math and medicine and aviation, it is critical when it comes to the most important relationship in all of our lives, and that is our spiritual relationship with God. Truth matters. And that's why we're going to be focusing on this for the next few weeks because you need to know that there are two Conflicting worldviews out there. They are competing for your allegiance right now. On the one hand, there are those of us who believe in absolute truth, that have been handed down by the creator of the universe, and that those absolutes don't change. Absolute truth is that for which all people, all time and all places exist. They are fundamental. They are moral. They are ethical principles that really exist independently of our own personal opinion or even our own experiences. But on the other hand, the majority of people believe that everything is relative. There's no absolute truth. Man is free to establish his own individual standards of right and wrong. What is right for you must be right for you. What is right for me must be right for you. There is no objective standard of truth. One way to see this uh, is in the crest of Harvard University. The change in our culture can be seen well because the original motto on their on their crest used to read in latin truth for christ and the church reminding students that truth is found in jesus christ and celebrated by those who follow him the original shield displayed three books two opened and one book facing down acknowledging the limits of our own human reason and that god is the full measure of truth a lot has changed And Harvard's New Shield makes no reference to Christ and the church. It simply states the word for truth in Latin, which is the word veritas. The book, once facing down, has now been turned up as if to assure everyone that it's only a matter of time before you can know and control all things. And that is the fallacy of what we're seeing in our culture today. It is called humanism. That the world centers around you and your thoughts and and what your perceptions are. That becomes the definition of truth. And that leads to what's called relativism, which essentially says that everything is relative. There is no objective standard of truth and that you can define that however you want. That's why it's so important for us, friends, to get back to understanding what is truth and where do we find that. And we're going to start this series by going all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, 2 and 3 and we're going to see a time when mankind rejected the truth of God. Right in Genesis chapter 1 we're reminded that God created us in his image. He created mankind in his image with his character, with his uh, the essence of who he was. He created us in his image. But when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, I want to establish some truth for you. And they were to care for the garden. That was part of their job. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says that he put man in the garden to work it and care for it. And then God instructed Adam that he was to be faithful to his wife. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And they were there together, and they were not to eat of any. Uh, they were eat, to eat of every tree except for the one that was in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Now all these guidelines were given to help mankind uh, really be fulfilled and to be blessed in the Garden of Eden. And God was saying to them, this is how to live your best life. This is how you can prosper. This, if you follow these truths, this is the way to be blessed. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's because they had no guilt. Adam and Eve experienced maximum freedom in the garden. They were free from guilt. They were free from shame. They were free to love. They had no inhibitions. They were free to accomplish. The ground cooperated with them as they planted, and they were free from death, and they had access to the tree of life, and they had access to God himself. I like what Sketch Erickson says about freedom. He said, freedom is like a tree planted by water. Uprooted, it will die. To be really free, it has to remain attached to something life-giving. And when Adam and Eve were attached to God himself and the truth of who God was, they were free to be who God wanted them to be. Friends, the Bible says, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so I want you to notice when it comes to this story and to our lives that truth is based on the character of God. Where do we discover truth? We don't discover truth by just processing it, thinking about it, trying to filter it through our own experiences. It's actually, it actually comes from the very heart of the character of God. It was not determined in the Garden of Eden by majority vote or individual feelings or government decrees. When I was teaching at Indiana Wesleyan University, I taught a class called uh, Business Ethics. And in that class, you learn all of the ethical theories that are out there, the normative ethical theories. And, And those are things like majority votes. But how many of you know the majority can be wrong sometimes, right? Sometimes it's based on how you feel about something or what your perception is or what is the most beneficial for the most people. The problem with all of those is they fall short. And especially when you remove God from the equation. Absolute truth in the garden was given by God because it was an extension of the very nature of God. And he said to Adam, I want you to work in the garden because I work. And I want you to have fellowship with you. And I want you to not touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because I I cannot be tempted by evil. And Adam, I want you to be faithful to your wife because I'm faithful to you. So many times when we try to communicate uh, something to our kids, our values, we'll say, well, this is wrong. And they'll say, what? Why? Why is it wrong? And you just say, I don't know. It's just wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. Don't you know it's wrong? And they say, no, I don't know it's wrong. Why is it wrong? And we end up saying as parents, because we don't know what else to say, because I said so. That's why it's wrong. That's why. But that's not really sufficient. There has to be a reason why something is wrong the reason why there is a truth and a falsehood and, and it's not based on just what we feel, it's based on the character of God. God established truth. Remember the Ten Commandments? The very first phrase in the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I am the one who made you and I and you and, and here's who I am. and right from the very beginning, don't take my name in vain. In other words, back to you, You respect me. Then he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You're to rest that day. You know why? Because I created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, I rested. And I don't lie, and I don't steal, and I don't kill, and I'm loving, and I'm holy. And so the reason we are those things is because God himself is those things, and we are created in the image of God. Truth is based on the character of who God is. You remember the story about the owner of a factory who had set his watch every day by the clock in the jeweler's window until one day he realized the clock in the jeweler's window was ten minutes off. And he stopped in and he told the jeweler and the jeweler said, That can't be because I set my clock every day at noon by the noon whistle in your factory. They were setting their clock based on one another. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. If we measure ourselves by ourselves, we are not wise. And so we don't compare truth, my truth, to your truth. We compare truth to the standards set by God. That's the, that's the timeline. <laughs> that's the consistent, accurate clock. And so we measure truth by looking at the standards of God. Webster Dictionary defines truth in part as fidelity to the original. Our forefathers understood that principle in founding our country. Our founding document reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Those rights come not by the government. Those rights come not by majority vote. Those rights are given by the Creator who gave us those rights. And so Truth is established in the character of God, but secondly, truth was undermined by Satan. And what I want you to notice through this story is these are the same things he does today. Notice, he began by questioning God's word, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? He said, that doesn't seem right. And that's always the starting point for the enemy. He begins to cast doubts in your mind. Did God really say that? Did God really say that this is the way it's supposed to be in the home? (laughs) Did God really establish principles for the home and life and marriage and family? Did God really do that? Satan then began questioning God's word, and then he denied God's word. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. In other words, that's not true. All that stuff about death, don't believe God. So he started questioning it, and this is the same thing that happens with us. We question it, and then after that, the enemy then denied it. And then finally, Satan reversed God's word. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, Satan winds up blatantly calling God a liar. God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he doesn't want you to be like him. And friends, you can see Satan doing the same thing, Strategy today, undermining truth. Has God really said that all life is sacred? What if a baby isn't wanted? What if it's deformed? What if you find out in the womb that the baby is going to have issues? Life then isn't sacred. What if someone's older at the end of their life? Life isn't really sacred then, is it? And when we undermine life, we undermine our relationships with one another, and then no life matters at all. Has God said sex is for marriage only? Just asking. It's okay if you want to believe that, but that's so old-fashioned. Really, it should be between two consenting adults, no no matter about marriage or commitment. Has God really said love your neighbor as yourself? What if your neighbor's a cheat? What if your neighbor's of another race? What if your property value goes down? You better keep your neighbor at arm's distance or he'll take advantage of you. Is that really what you want? Just asking. Has God said salvation is only through Jesus Christ? What about people who are sincere in other parts of the world? There are many ways to God, don't you think? It doesn't really matter what you believe. I mean, it's just one big mountain. God's at the top, and we'll just all take our way up there, despite the fact that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. That doesn't really matter, does it? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and did not hold to the truth. And then he added this line, There is no truth in him, and when he lies, he spreads his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, thirdly, truth then was rejected by man. Adam and Eve both decided to reject God's absolute truth. Verse 6 of chapter 3 reads: When the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she believed the lie. She took some of it and ate it. Now she took it and look at some of the reasons. They're the same reasons today. The fruit was good for food. She wanted to satisfy her own lustful appetite. People don't reject God's truth today because they've examined the evidence and it doesn't seem rational to them. They reject the truth because it's often contrary to their own desires. God's truth just seems too demanding, so therefore, I'm not going to follow God's truth. It was pleasing, or it satisfied her own appetite. Secondly, it was pleasing to the eye, the appeal of Wanting more, we call that materialism. It's what the Bible calls the lust of the eyes. Looking at something and wanting more. And then it was desirable for gaining wisdom, what the Bible calls the pride of life. She was, wanted to be considered intelligent and she wanted to be like God. That's what the enemy had told her. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where, the, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the world, through its wisdom, did not know Him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who have believed. There is a wisdom in the world today that would never conclude that there is a God who loves us. The wisdom of the world would never conclude that God himself would enter our world, would become a, a baby, would grow as a man, would die in atoning death on the cross, and would resurrect from the dead. The wisdom of the world would reject that standard. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And so Eve yielded to the lust of the flesh and the lust of her eyes and the pride of life. And then look at verse 6. What did she do? It reads, she also gave some to her poor defenseless husband. (laughs) Amen. That's not what it says, is it? Often thought that Adam was dumber than Eve, actually. Eve was persuaded by supernatural being Satan. Adam just yielded to peer pressure. So Adam and Eve rejected God's truth in their life, and everything began to unravel. And verse 7 says, The eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. They now were ashamed. Their self-esteem was in the pit. They felt self-conscious, inadequate, insecure, and alienated from God. And when God came in fellowship with them, then after This, they hid from God, they felt guilty and alone, and God asked, Adam, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat? And what did Adam do? He took it like a man, and he blamed his wife. And in verse 12 it says, that woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And their relationship began to crumble. And Adam blamed Eve, and that was a source of marital discord. And and we have been struggling ever since. And in the verses that followed then, their son Cain murdered his brother Abel, and they were kicked out of the garden. The earth refused to cooperate. Their bodies began to age, and eventually they died, just as God promised. When you reject God's truth, there are always consequences. And this is what is happening to us as a culture. We have rejected God's standards of truth. And society around us is beginning to unravel. Think about the chaos in our families. Everybody used to know what a family was. It was made up of people who were related to each other by birth, adoption, marriage. But now we rejected God's truth. The institution of the family is under attack. Commitment is out. Living together is in. Respect for parental authority is out. Do what is best for you is in. There's chaos in our government. Our forefathers established this nation with respect for the truth that there was something outside of themselves, but today we reject that, and every reminder of the Bible or the birth of Christ is removed from the public sector. And every day we find examples of dishonesty in our leaders, undermining traditional values, elevation of self, and this is irrespective of political party. But listen to our founding fathers. James Madison said religion is the basis and foundation of government. We have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. John Adams said, religion and virtue are the only foundations of republicanism and all free government. Samuel Adams, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, wrote in, the last, in his last Will and Testament, First of all, I rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon from all my sins. In 1772, Samuel Adams said, The rights of the colonists as Christians may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institution of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. James McHenry, Secretary of War under President George Washington, and John Adams said, Without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. Listen again. Without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. They, therefore, who are decrying the Christian religion, whose morality is so sublime and pure, are undermining the solid foundation of morals, the best security for the duration of free governments. James Madison, architect of the Federal Constitution, said, The belief in God, all powerful, wise, and good, is so essential to the moral order of the world and to the happiness of man that arguments which enforce it cannot be drawn from too many sources. and Benjamin Franklin, in 1787, said, Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his province, that he ought to be worshiped. And in 1681, William Penn said, if you are not governed by God and his word, you will soon be ruled by tyrants. When you leave the, the truth, the system crumbles. And listen, every nation that does not hold any truth to be self-evident just does not have the confidence to judge many things without moral authority and certainty. When you reject truth, it impacts, it impacts governments, it impacts. Families. It impacts education. We are reimagining so many things in education today. We're reimagining history. We're reimagining math. I understand now there's a new course that they're reimagining spelling. It's inventive spelling. It doesn't matter how you spell the word. As long as you're being creative, that's good and you get a good grade. And friends, that is a course I could have passed. <laughs> Let's just change the test. The Bible says... Thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. But to be honest, the rejection of truth has created problems in the churches too. Liberal churches reject the miracles of the Bible. Friends of mine recently came out and, and, and have redefined sin in their church. They've decided to be more inclusive and therefore they've said, now sin is, is just simply anytime time there is a victim. That's the only time there's sin. That's it. And so homosexual relationships are okay as long as they're consensual because there's no victim in that, they say. The problem with that is I just don't see that that squares with the Scripture. In particular, is there a victim of greed? Is there a victim of sins of the mind? I don't understand that philosophy. And so it's impacted even the church. As we see scholars say, don't worry if God is called God the Father in the Bible. Let's rewrite the scripture. Let's call him God our mother. It seems more inclusive. We have liberal scholars that are saying that, that really Jesus had a relationship with Mary Magdalene, and so therefore uh, it's a little different than what you might have thought. So many liberal ideas out there. So many different names, so many different ideas. President Lincoln, one time, we used to ask children, How many legs would a horse have if you called the horse's tail a leg? And the children would say, Five. And President Lincoln would say, No, it would still just have four legs because it doesn't matter how often you call a tail a leg, it's not a leg. And no matter how many times people call evil good, it's still evil. And we can attempt to change God's name and we can attempt to change God's word and we can attempt to attack God's church, but God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so truth is so important. Psalm chapter 11, verse 3 says, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What should we do as the church of Jesus Christ? in the face of a culture that undermines truth. Well, come back the next three weeks and you are going to find out. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place. Stand firm in the truth. Hold fast to what God says, regardless of popular opinion, regardless what you see as your truth, or what your thoughts or opinions are. Look to the character of the one who defines what truth is. His word never fails. His church will prevail. His truth is marching on. Jesus Christ one time said, If you want to know the Father, come to know me. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. God, we give you thanks today for your word. And God, we give you thanks for... The truth that is found in your scripture and God help us to understand what truth is help us to see all of the issues that surround us today God help us to understand for for example all the voices that that speak to us about about even even the illnesses today about the challenges that we're seeing in our society with that God help us to See, how can we love people through that? God, we understand that the world is going to have illness and challenge. But we also understand, God, that the Bible says that you have overcome the world. That we as your people don't have to be afraid because we know that whether it be on this life or the other life, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for us. Help us to hold on to that truth. God, when we see the issues of racism in our culture, And we see the reaction of that as well. God, help us to remember the truth that we are one. One nation, one people, one group under God. And God, that we as a society, Lord, that we are far better off when we follow the word of God that simply says, love your neighbor as yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. God, help us to react in the way that the Bible does. Help us to see our fellow man and woman is just that, that there is no distinction, God, that we we love one another equally because you loved us. And so, God, whether it comes from fear, from the coronavirus or illness or whether it comes through. Through the sin of racism. And how we respond to it or God, whether it comes to even how we view our political leaders and And God, that we pray for them because we're called to pray not only for those that agree with us, but the Bible says pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, God. So help us to see these issues as through a biblical worldview and help us to to see it through your word. How would you want to respond? How did you respond, Jesus, in the New Testament? And God, what I see in Christ's life was a life that loved people, irregardless of differences. What I see in the scripture is, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, every man, every woman, every race, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, whosoever would believe in him, will not perish but will have everlasting life. Jesus was one, who simply offered the invitation to all. And so God, help us to see these issues, all the issues that surround us today, all the issues that we're a part of even through a a kingdom worldview, through a biblical worldview, that sees the truth that God loves everyone and that we are not to be a people that are afraid. We're to be a, a people that embrace the principle that Paul said, that perfect love drives out fear. We're not to be anxious about anything, but through prayer and petition with thanksgiving we present our requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us God to embrace the truth of your word and through that filter then impact our world for the cause of Christ. We pray that together in Jesus' name.